Hello, and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today we have David with us. David, if you'd like to introduce yourselves to our audience. Friday, happy to be here. So I am the co-founder of Describe, and Describe is a vast online library of box text, or sometimes called flavor text, uh, for fantasy uh, TTRPG. And we are also now a vast library of background ambience and sound effects and music, uh, and also fully described battle maps. So we are this awesome supplemental resource for DMs, um, whether they're running a homebrew campaign or an adventure module. And I'm happy to be here. Great. Thanks for being here. Also, if you use coupon code FRIDAY, you can save 10% on your subscription over at Describe.com. But let's start with how did Describe start? How did you get to founding this and when and what were the circumstances? So my background was definitely not in this industry. Um, I was a, a, a player, uh, an addict of, uh, of D&D uh, only for eight or nine years uh, before Describe was founded. And I'd been introduced to it by a wonderful friend whose background was in film and television. So a really creative guy. Um, but I was a criminal lawyer and I um, fell in love with the game and was like proselytizing it, telling friends and family how wonderful it was. And they would say, hey, David, like, well, why don't we play together? Why don't you run a game? And I would, you know, say, well, I'm too busy with my law practice to DM. Um, but all of that changed when COVID uh, happened. Uh, all of my jury trials were suspended. I had nothing but free time. So I started DMing uh, and introducing new friends to the game. And um, by after about three or four months of that, I think we were running like the, you know, the starter adventure, Lost Mine of Fandelver. I, the Describe idea had started to crystallize. Like I saw the utility of um, really succinct, evocative box text. Uh, and I thought, um, wouldn't it be great if there was a huge library of box text that wasn't written for a specific campaign, but was generic and not in the boring sense of the word, but like it was written from the ground up in a way that it could be dropped into any campaign and it would like really punch up that campaign and cut down on the DMs prep and, and all that good stuff. Um, and so it was, so Describe really for me was, a silver lining um, of the of the pandemic, and it launched in on January first, twenty twenty one. Put out a, a Reddit post, which sort of went viral. I explained what I'd been working on, and we've been growing, uh, growing like crazy uh, ever since. Um, and using that uh, all that support and growth to expand the types of content that we publish um, and the types of features that we offer for our amazing members. Of course, you would go viral on Reddit, of all things, as a, as a lawyer. My co-founder likes to tell people, like, he he tried to spam Reddit and it was immediately shut down. It didn't work. And then I was like, you're doing it all wrong. Like, and I went on Reddit, wrote a heartfelt sort of, you know, anecdote of who I am and how I got there. And that that caught fire. And... Yeah. We wanted to check it out. And then our site crashed, obviously, because we didn't know what we were doing. Um, right. And we rebuilt it and, and yeah, went off yeah. to the races. I find that's the truth of most social media uh, networks or platforms, I should say, um, in that when it's used right, it's really awesome. When it's used poorly or uh, when it's, you know, more bombastic or, um, you know, offensive or discriminatory as some social media platforms can really house a lot of those people, then of course it's bad. But um, Reddit is definitely a, a good place. If you can find a small niche like community and like write something for writing's sake, it functions sort of like a pseudo blog to a lot of people and like a method to share ideas. I know there's so many subreddits that focus on how to prep for particular modules or campaigns or styles of games. And those can be like a wealth of information that people like freely share with each other. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you said something earlier about Reddit and I agree, like people have very, very finely tuned um, sort of like BS um, detection devices and people want to see authenticity um, and sincerity and and they know when you're just filling something and so these and and that's something like I've learned over time um, and 
So when I do engage with, whether it be Reddit or Facebook or Twitter, um, I'm always thinking like, well, uh, what, how can I add some value or some originality or some creativity or beauty or whatever, like something of value to the discussion, to this space so that people aren't, people have a reason to, to read what I've written or posted and a reason to check out Describe and I'm not just like spamming because no one likes that. I don't like that. Value so one, first. Of the, one of the ways we apologize for interrupting, like one of the things we do regularly is we, my editors love sort of filtering up some of the scenes that we've published um, that really, you know, that, that really resonated with them that they particularly loved and we love them all. Right. But, uh, and, or I'll come across them on my own and um, I'll just share those scenes. Um, even though it's like, you know, it would ordinarily only be available to our subscribers, share those, those scenes on social media platforms and people like to read them. And then sometimes people can repurpose them for their own campaigns. So. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ways that people tend to, I guess, neg box text a lot of the time is like, oh, this doesn't work for me. And then I think to myself, like, sometimes a lot of that box text is useful in some way, and you only have to use some of it. You can skip over what you don't use. You can manipulate it if you want. And if you're doing prep and you find something that where you found a 30 to 60% solution, you know, you've just cut down your prep time by a lot because a lot of the most difficult part of writing or like preparing something that seems like it's both organic yet um, very uh, inevitable or artistic or poetic is really getting started and deciding what direction do you want to take this before you put your flair or your twist on it. So something like describe, even if you don't use it word for word, which you probably wouldn't because the artist's voice or the writer's voice a lot of the time is different from your own or different from the tone that you're trying to create for your game. But you can definitely take it and you can use it how you would like to use it, depending on like what sort of tone you're going for at the moment. Yeah, Friday, I completely agree. Um, I definitely believe that there's... Describe is not one size fits all and there's no one right way to use it. And certainly when I use it, um, when I'm DMing, I I will tweak words. I will I will edit stuff like on the fly or in prep. Um, and but beyond that, like you can use it simply for inspiration. Like this is how someone else would describe this setting of a rowdy tavern. And it just reading an evocative description of a rowdy tavern might get your own creative juices flowing. And then you get you know you're ready to improvise that description or write your own. Um, or yeah, as you said, take something, modify it, and um, I think that's that's important. I mean, that's even how you use box text often in adventure modules. Like I will I will expand on what's there or or tweak it based on the particular particularities of the player characters or what's actually unfolded. Yeah, it's a it's just a starting point for world building and description. Yeah, you publish how many words a month on describe regularly what's your average so um it's it, we publish a lot we publish about uh, 400 scenes per month which is probably something like 30,000 words per month and we do that every single month and we've we've always done that we will always you know do that um, off into the sunset and it's important that we do that because we are you know, it's sort of the it's sort of the bargain that we have with our subscribers. They're supporting us regularly, so we are providing something you know of of, of value uh, and and utility to them regularly. And because we're describing fantasy worlds, and we're actually now getting into sci-fi as well, like these these universes of possibilities are 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 endless um and like these genres right they don't have any bounds and so we're always expanding the the breadth of our co- coverage and the depth of our coverage and what i mean by that is um if you you know in the fantasy genre like there's always more and more settings to describe like a a temple on a mountain, a spooky temple on a mountain, you know, a temple on the mountain at night, on and on it goes. Um, and that would be like the depth, like how many variant, how many, how many zombies do we have? Descriptions of zombies do we have on the site? Is it, you know, one, five or 10? We can keep adding more as long as they're all different and interesting in their own way. 
Um, and then in terms of like the breadth of the coverage, it's how many different types of things, settings, monsters, and so forth have we covered. Um, and so, yeah, we will, we have this insane uh, productivity um, that we that we hit each month and it takes more than one or two writers or one or two editors to, to do that. Um, but the, the, the outcome, like the product of all that labor is you can go to the site, you can run a search and, you know, nine times out of 10, or maybe more than nine times out of 10, you, you actually find what you're searching for. Maybe you find like multiple results, all of which are fitting for what you're looking for. And that will just keep getting better over time. And that's really important to us. You and just for context for our listeners who may not understand how much fucking writing that is, that is about one third or one half of a Wizards of the Coast hardback like every month. So they're following the Wizards of the Coast schedule for just box text, not including any of the mechanical writing or anything like that. It's a huge amount of writing that's being added to describe every single month um, that's searchable and just easy to find and manipulate and use as you'd like. And I have to ask, um, we have to pivot to uh, your, you have like a how to use box text in your RPG as part of your website. And it makes it so accessible and Part of the reason that I think it's really a great resource is that you are teaching people actively how this works instead of just presenting and being like, you know, use it how you'd like. You do like allow people the freedom of that as like an artist or as like a performer or whatever. But lowering the bar or lowering the cost of entry, I think is very difficult to do. And not everybody does that for their products. Yeah. And I'm really proud of that article so yeah there's an article available to everyone you don't even need to register um it's on our site it's called thinking inside the box and i basically um interviewed all of our writers and editors and all the pearls of wisdom i could, could gather from them um and and other things i i had learned like we quote um sean merwin uh who's an amazing um ttrpg writer Who's, who's actually written about box text as well. And we linked to his blog post about the topic um, and tried to distill all of that wisdom and, and um, information yeah, into this article just for anyone to benefit from. And it, it goes through in sections like how to write great descriptions, great box text. And um, yeah, so it's not a, it's not a secret uh, what we do. I think there are certain principles and I'm not suggesting we are the authority on writing box text, not not at all. But I think there are some principles in here um, that, if you follow them, can improve your writing of box text. And it's just also interesting, like as an art form. I think box text is it's the closest thing to poetry that TTRPG has, right? Because it has to, you have to have an economy of words. Every word has to, you know, carry a lot of weight, and um, so the text has to be really efficient and has to be like pithy and succinct. And yeah, when you're creating these little vignettes, and we actually, you know, um, we have we try to keep our our scenes to about seventy words because you get diminishing returns after seventy words. You know, I have I have a habit of rambling on. I'm doing it right now, and people just lose interest. Right? You you want to say to the DM, "Hey, shut up! I want to play now. Like, I'm really excited about this thing you've just described. I want to like jump in there and like pickpocket that character you described, or you know, go order a drink at the bar. This bartender sounds like an interesting guy. I want to talk to him. So, um, I should be following my own advice and 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 shut up and wait for for your next question Friday. But there's a lot of good information in there. No, not at all. Um, you don't have to shut up on this podcast. I won't tell you that. But um, yeah, I I wanted it. You know, I'm so glad you said that about uh, poetry. I grew up as a poet. That's how I started getting into writing. That's oh, why I love. Yeah, that's why I love writing narrative descriptions for box text and like adventures and stuff like that. And a lot of what I'm doing for the vineyard is like I'm the primary like box text person. Um, so. I, you know, we have uh, our other writers who are like working on like dossiers and creating uh, these fantastic NPCs and like these adventures. But like I'm writing like a descriptive words and things like that, because that's where I think my strengths lie a lot of the time. But yeah, uh, in regards to that, I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to read and 
I won't kick you out of my podcast if you don't like it, but I'm going to read to you some box text that I wrote, okay? Let's hear it. <laughs> okay, let me get let me get my uh my my GM voice, which is totally different than like my conversational voice, but now you're going to get the experience. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me turn off my lo-fi music that I've got going so that I get into the scene here. The cruel assembly of this tower lay beneath a massive splintered meteor hanging above it in foreboding silence. Strands of pulsating silver and smoky gray project a protective web against the ages past attack tethered and frozen in time. An ivory spire rises from the mass of tombstones at its base, its chilling silhouette a jagged spear into the heart of this city. Cut into the structure's many levels are what once were wide corridors that have since been bricked over. Stark gargoyles of humanoids perch at each level of the building, pointing down to whomever would stand in front of the entrance gateway. Whoa, I love it. Very epic. And I want to know, why are the corridors bricked over? What's, what's that about? And are these gargoyles you know, symbolic, or are they actually protecting the entrance? Um, so that's a great bit of description because it's um, setting a tone, obviously, and it's also potentially spotlighting things that are important to the scene. And that might be a, that might, you know, trigger some, some improvisation and some role play. You know, it might give the players some ideas about what to do next. And um, yeah, that, that's terrific. You should. So we have a feature called Way of the Word that I should have mentioned earlier. Um, now it's only available to paying subscribers. Uh, and people say, wait, we have to pay you to submit our writing to you. But it's because um, Way of the Word goes, the, the submissions, they go to our editors uh, and sometimes our writers. And they will spend as much time as necessary polishing it to bring it up to like our st- the same standard that we use for our own writers for publication. And we've received like hundreds of amazing Way of the Word submissions, and they've all been edited and published. And um, and I think I'm pretty yeah yeah we we don't we don't paywall those scenes. So while you have to be a subscriber to use the feature, your scenes are available. For, for everyone to use in their own campaigns, which is great. And I've seen ton, tons of amazing writing come through there. And it's a wonderful way for for Describe and its community to kind of work together and collaborate. Yeah, super cool. Um, and flipping back to, I also super appreciate all those compliments. That's definitely like um, an important thing in my life is to receive as many compliments as possible. So I prioritize oh, yeah. it on my on my list of things to get. <laughs> but, Anytime, Friday. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but for uh, you and dealing with um, freelance, we're going to shift to freelancers for a moment. You pay per scene instead of work count, I believe you told me. Yeah. Describe to me why you do that for your situation. Yeah, it. Um, we've always done that, and that was really important. That was a very deliberate decision, and um, and it goes back to that that comment about um, scene writing. We call them scenes because box text is sort of like a mass noun, so it's hard to talk about like plural boxed texts. So we call them scenes, and scene writing. I mentioned it's the closest thing to poetry in in TTRPG, and in my mind, like you know, if you were to ask someone what makes a poem what's the difference between a good poem and a great poem no one would be like oh great poems are just longer than good poems this is like a length you know, just need more um in fact it's often the opposite and there's a i, th- I if I, I think i mentioned this earlier like there's this diminishing returns where you know it, where it gets too long and um i wanted i didn't want to incentivize the writers to, and I didn't want to, you know, I want, I, it's harder, it's harder to write a fantastic short scene than it is to write a fantastic long scene. It's harder to do the short version and the short version is going to be better. Um, and for, for the way that DMs use box text. And so I wanted the compensation model, if I can call it that, to reflect the fact that a writer is going to spend potentially even more time, like just thinking about exactly which words to use and which words can be like omitted and how to refashion something to be, yeah, more, more lean. And, and, and so, yeah, we pay, we pay a piece rate per scene 
um, as a result. And, and it's worked really well. Yeah, that's super cool. It also takes the incentive off of just drafting to meet the quota. And then, you know, you're good, you turn it in and let the editors deal with it. It really puts the writer in the position to design something rather than to focus on word count, which I yeah. really like. And I might consider how we can do that equitably for our projects, our book projects moving forward. Right now we have our, you know, word rates pretty openly published um, at 25 cents a word for us, because that's kind of the rate that MCDM has been pretty public about uh, what they pay their writers because they, they want to attract the best talent and they want to encourage people to write really good stuff um, and really spend their time on it as opposed to just meeting the bare minimum because they can't afford to just take the one job. They have to take multiple jobs. Whereas we're kind of talking about paying people something where they can comfortably live on it if they regularly get work like this. And that's kind of our aim, at least on our side um, as a company. And it seems what you're aiming for as well um, with your with your pay. Yeah. One of the reasons we have great relationships with our writers and editors is um they're not just great people and we're not, you know, we, we try to be great to work with, but we're an endless fountain of work. Like every writer has a, has a target or a ceiling per month and it just keeps, you know, cycling, cycling uh, or refreshing for the next month and then the month after that. And so um, there's, uh, it, it's, it's more reliable uh, source yeah. of work and income and, and that's great. Yeah, I when I first got into the industry, I had encountered a lot of uh, folks. I'm, I, I'm going to be super careful about how I word things. You don't have to answer any of this or, you know, respond directly about any of this. But when I first got into the industry, I had a lot of conversations with writers and other contributors, artists and things like that. A lot of the time, people who had been in the industry since the 2000s still had full time jobs and had never worked full time in tabletop. Wow. Never. Like some of the most prolific people that you know that have published in the biggest adventures and the biggest campaigns or had worked on, you know, all of the books that are on your shelf currently still didn't have a full-time job because whatever decent job they had with healthcare paid a lot more than that. And I think that's the best situation to be in. So I understand my position, me just getting into this industry coming from a different lifestyle. It is my intention to try and provide that at least for a small group of people, because if I'm going to ask people to give me their creativity, to create something with me, to give me their, like, their blood, sweat, sweat and tears, or like their uh, energy for what we're creating and for them to trust me, then I want to be able to pay them something where they're not stressing out about bills all the time, or at least do my part of it, because obviously, you know, the inflation keeps going up. But um, I still need I feel this obligation that I need to at least do my part and do a little bit extra in order to raise the bar for other people. But how plausible that is for everyone i'm not quite certain not everybody's in the same position as me so i understand that but yeah i think for the way that you deal with freelancers you're you're obviously going to attract a lot more talent if you pay more rather than convincing people that they should work for you for um below industry rates yeah i agree and describe had a funny way of um going about the initial round of hiring isn't the right word because they're contractors, but like finding writers and editors. So we, we, we had this idea, started working on it. We're like, well, I can't write everything. Uh, there are better writers than me out there anyway. Um, so what I did was I opened up all my, uh, all my D and D books. I went to the credits page and I wrote down all the names and then I, you know, Google all the contact information I could find and started basically sending letters. And uh, that was one skill that I did have from, from law. I'm an excellent letter writer. It was, it was a really you know, persuasive document about why you should get back to me and be interested in this, you know, this crazy idea that we had. And um, I sent out, I don't know, 20 or 30 of these letters and two people I think three or four got back and two actually, two writers um, were like, I'm in, you know, I'll give this a try. And one of those writers um, 
who was the former um, editor-in-chief of Dragon Magazine. He had been like sort of the lore master for the Forgotten Realms at Wizards of the Coast until recently. Uh, he um, he introduced me to uh, another two writers who are also exceptional. And um, so, and, and then what happened next, so uh, the initial cohort of writers, I think they were all or mostly from from Wizards of the Coast or had, had been there until, until recently. And uh, But what's happened next has been just as amazing. Um, people who were interested in writing and had never, but had never written before or had you know, gotten into it a little bit already uh, started uh, to hear, learn about Describe, liked the, the publishing model, liked what we were doing and started sending me applications. And I now receive about two applications a week like every week from interested writers, um, which is, it tells you how much, how many writers or potential writers are out there. And it might help explain, like just to, just to put on my capitalist hat for a minute and just speak about economics and not humanity, like that amount of potential supply in this labor market can help explain, it doesn't justify, it doesn't make it right, but it is a cause of some of these low rates that, you know, have been discussed. Um, just just as a point of fact that, that, that you know, we should all bear in mind. Um, the question yeah. is, the, the moral question is, what do you do with that? What's the right thing to do with that, that you know, that amount of supply? And how do you treat people humanely when you can't hire them all, right? Um, yeah. But, but putting, putting those questions aside, um, because we receive so many applications, I, I ask all of them for any information they want to provide, but I also ask for writing samples. I read every single writing sample that is then submitted, and that's allowed us to find um, some truly exceptionally talented writers who haven't been discovered yet. Like, like we are their first gig, um, and they're they hit the ground running like you know and and that's been awesome to be a part of yeah can i just say that i've been really impressed with megan's writing and yeah just never no exposure to megan i don't think that they have had a gig in ttrpg prior to describe but like reading their writing i was so happy with what they did with the vineyard box text um really great stuff and yeah, uh, to I have a few things that we have to go back to and hit on before we can sure. move on. But like, uh, first of all, yes, um, the gig economy does take advantage of freelancers um, because there are so many people who are willing to do it under industry rate in order to just say that they've done it or to put something in their portfolio. And a lot of companies, unfortunately, once they get to a position where they have the leverage, they will take advantage of people by underpaying them uh, for little to no reason, in my opinion, when they could easily afford to just pay them more. Like, how many copies did this sell? A hundred thousand? One million? Like, why aren't you paying more? But anyway, um, I, that's how I found uh, M. That's how I found Michaela. I went into my favorite adventure. I just went yeah. to hell, Rhyme of the Rosmian, and I went story creator and lead writer. Oh, Chris Perkins? Okay, well, he's not going to talk to me. Um, writing team. And then I just went down the list and I like looked up all these people and I got to Michaela Ebel's um, web- website and I, their website, and I was like, oh, they're available for consulting. That's interesting. Why don't I just hire them for like, you know, some consulting? And we had like three or four consulting calls about me trying to get better at narrative design for tabletop because I was a writer prior, obviously, and then wanted to shift into tabletop. Yeah. And that's how I met M was I I hired them briefly to just have this discussion about like my campaign that I was trying to make better and my show or whatever that I was running at the time. Yeah. Um, and then from there, of course, we like got into uh, like more of a working relationship as I got hired to work with uh, them and their team on One Night Strahd as the marketer. And then and then I offered for them to come on board as the co-creator of the vineyard. But yeah, that's that's how we met. Like I just, you know, just look people up and just look for them. And I just like, okay, I really enjoyed this. Let me talk to them about, um, you know, their writing. And generally, uh, and I'm not going to put M's like writing on blast about like what specific, because I don't know if they're allowed to talk about it. But um, um, yeah, just some of their writing in the in the book and stuff. Uh, it turned out to be like some of my favorite parts of the, of the book anyway. So I was like, okay, great. Yeah, that's just lines perfectly so 
Yeah. And some of those opportunities, if you're looking to start out, a lot of the time are people with their focus in the wrong place. Uh, when they're trying to build teams and they're trying to build uh, a service or a product or something like that, they're looking for who has the most exposure. That's not the right person to hire. You need to hire the person that's going to help you make the best thing to make the best, the, that they're easy to work with. And like they are someone that you can creatively align with and get along with. And that's how you build teams. Um, whereas a lot of time in this like gig social media hellscape where we're like how many followers did they have and like that shit actually does not matter um what matters is how good is the thing that you're gonna make together um and i found a lot of confidence working with M in that short period of time and my trust that they were going to show up and be professional. They were going to know what they're doing. They're going to try their best. They're going to have everyone's best interest in mind. And that was when the the partnership, the business partnership between M and me really began was um, just having these short interactions and taking a chance on someone um, after kind of liking their vibe, I guess, online and just going for that pitch. And like a lot of the time, especially because of the gig economy as well, you can just outright like just email somebody. If you have a decent idea of like what you'd like to hire them for, that's a great way to find out if you'd like to work with someone in a more permanent relationship. Like just hire them for like something that's affordable yet good rates. You can afford, you can test them out if you've got a good idea that you'd like to hire them for something. And then you can start that way. That's not accessible to everyone. But if you are making money and you're trying to make money i think that's the natural evolution of that and it's a the community of creators it's it's smaller than some might think and um people are always looking for new opportunities and most people have an open mind and they'll ask themselves like the first writers that 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 we started working with like they, they obviously just like the concept they didn't know who like i was nobody <laughs> You know, I'm still nobody, but I was nobody back then too. And they, but they liked the the concept, and they liked the communications that they'd had with me, and that was, and I was able to offer, you know, a, enough to make their time worthwhile, and that was that was all it takes. So, um, I and I agree with your comments about, you know, ideally this whole thing should be like a bit of a meritocracy where it doesn't matter how many Twitter followers you have. Um, it you know it's just the quality of your craft and 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 what you're like to work with so and we're just like describes blessed with um you know outstandingly like just <laughs> they i regularly read scenes and i'm like i could not write something that good if i had 10 years yeah um, and I, I you know i i was like a professional communicator so to speak like i was a, i was an orator i was like you know pretty good advocate and and all that and 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 but they're so creative in in a way that that i'm not and i think and i think like i don't want to suggest that they're some people are gifted and others aren't the one of the reasons we wrote that article thinking inside the box is i think a lot of these are principles that can be learned um but i've heard like uh alex gray one of our writers he's awesome love alex he was on rpg box podcast and uh they were talking about like the art of description and um they put him on the spot and they're like describe a you know, like a it's like a haunted manners like den or something like that and he just it was like he did it it took he, it, there was like a two second pause and then he did it and it was it was so evocative like it was nuts anyone who's listening to that was like you're a freak like how did you <laughs> Did you do that? And they were stunned, speechless. And uh and he just said, like, I write like hundreds of these like every month. It's just a muscle that I've worked out a lot. Yeah. You know, it's just like I couldn't always it's writing, it's a do skill. like that. You know, it's it's a yeah. it's a you practice practice makes perfect. It's one of those things. Um Yeah. Yeah, just like GMing and improving and things like that. Yeah, and exactly. I think people tend to like take away from that a bit and like push that off as like an innate talent that someone can just do. Nobody's born with the skill with the language. That's cultivated. That's yeah. that's produced over a long period of time of like really watering that garden. And I, we, you mentioned yeah. Megan earlier, and um, she, I, I know she'd written a lot of poetry like yourself before writing. 
um, the box text for Describe, and I'm sure that that was practice. You know, she she was unwittingly practicing for scene writing for Describe, and um, and, it, and then it, yeah, it shows in her in her writing. It's like beautiful and evocative text. Yeah, a lot of these creative skills are definitely translatable, and they can be altered to really fit a new industry or a new medium or something like that. And if, for instance, if you take like a sketch artist, they can, when they, if they were to pick up a different medium, they would learn very quickly because they have such great fundamentals in one discipline already. And going back to like pitches and like reaching out and like working with people, I remember sending, uh, 10 like emails out to exactly who I wanted to work with for the vineyard. And I was thinking to myself, I might get like one or two, all 10 wrote back. And I was just like, Oh shit, fuck, (laughs) fuck. I have to hire all these people now. Um, And at that point I was like, I was like, okay, this is, this is great. And then I like sort of began to shoulder this, the beginnings of a 20 person team. Um, And it just kind of grew over time as I found more people that were individually qualified for the specific thing that I was looking for. Yeah, It's like Um, a snowball. It sounds like you're going to swallow up the whole industry. (laughs) I, you know, queers of the coast, here we come. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think uh, it is, it's really amazing. And one of my favorite things about just working in this industry, I love being a project manager. I love being a creative director, although those two wolves inside of me constantly fight. Um, There's the project manager who wants things on time and for them to be tidy and everything. And then there's the creative director where I'm just like, how do I, how do I help you cultivate this garden for this exact like thing that you're trying to make? Because a lot of the time I want things on time but then i long ago and this was through the good uh, mentorship that had been provided to me by uh one of the industry greats well writers are just a certain way um and sometimes they're not the most timely and they have like their lives going on but then i had to think about it from like an economic perspective and what we were talking about and the reality is i'm not paying someone enough for them to stress out for them to uh, ditch everything else in their life. And sometimes, well, a lot of time in this industry, people are working in order to make a living and I'm not providing that living for them. So I really, it, you can go to your full-time job and you can still say, fuck the man because they're mistreating me. What right do, would I have to tell to mistreat someone and, or to tell someone like, hey, you need to come in here and like prioritize my project over everything else. So I can, I think meeting people in the middle is really what creates the best art as well and totally not agree. having as strict deadlines yeah yeah totally agree one of the one of the techniques that describe uses to maintain a really high standard of quality is by using deadlines as little like as minimally as possible i mean i'm almost never put a deadline on on assignments and in fact uh most of the time when I do, it's because the writer's like, don't, you can't do this to me. Like, I will not do this without a deadline. Like, I need a deadline. Please yeah. give me a deadline. Like, okay, whatever. Give them some arbitrary yeah. deadline. But um, but getting back to your point, like, I think um, creativity, it's a particular type of intellectual task. And it usually is impaired by a sense of, like, I need to get this done by this date. And it's better when... You can pick something up, work on it a little, put it down, come back to it with fresh eyes when you're feeling inspired or, you know, you have a shower thought and then you get back to the keyboard and like, you know, try it out. And and that sort of approach, um, which is not non-intensive. Um, yeah, so so I, and, and Descartes is really lucky in that what we publish are just like these hundreds of little vignettes, these little like building blocks for world building. And so it's rare that one is like uh, time sensitive, like one, one has to get out. And it's more like as long as we are hitting an overall um, amount of publishing, then it's then everything, then it's, then we're good. Uh, everyone's happy. And um, some months, some writers are going to carry a little bit more weight than others. And, and, and I tell all the writers like, you can you can just like take a break whenever you want. You can go on vacation. You don't need to run you know run that by me and uh, take a break for personal reasons. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever you need. You know if it's going to be particularly long, just like let me know. But that's as 
I, I, I try not to micromanage and um, and I think and I'm not just doing that to to try to treat um, the writers with respect I'm, I'm doing it to improve the quality of what we publish absolutely yeah I learned that lesson I think in my 20s when I was working as a recruiter which we won't get into specifically because I have so many mixed feelings about my military service. But when I was a recruiter, I remember uh, having my boss ask me at one point, like, All right, well, who cares about uh, you making mission? And then ultimately it was like, well, it's you. Well, it's you who cares about recruiting these kids. And so you have to find the right people for the job who are also equally as invested. And if there's not an equal like eye to eye seeing of people who wanted to join the military and people who didn't want to join the military, then you just have problems. Kids who don't ship, kids who don't are not good fit for it. And you have to basically like rush to get out the door, which is considered unethical and like other all these all those other problems as much as possible um i try to take that into my work now and i've made it a habit which i've learned over time and i've tried to grow as like a project manager over the course of this past year um and one of the things that i started doing that i found out helps people is like sometimes i co-work with a writer and like i'm just like I'll just be working or whatever and they'll be just like on the camera and they'll be like writing and they'll just like randomly, hey, what do you think about this? And then I'll answer that question, like just with my opinion, and then they'll keep writing and then they'll get back to it because a lot of these writers have so much going on that like having focused time where they can just ask me a question verbally and get someone to bounce ideas off of is, yeah. Yeah, is really ideal for a lot of them. And the reason why like television uses writing rooms because communicating and working with other people verbally or informally mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful for the, de- the development of a creative um, piece of work. Absolutely. We, we have um, the team has like a private Discord channel. It's used all the time. And um, I think, the, you know, what good box text it creates a theater of the mind experience. It creates a really vivid image in the mind's eye. And you don't necessarily know, like, because we're not mind readers. We don't have, like, you know, those, like, thought bubbles that, like, float up above our heads. Um, you you know what's in your own mind, but it helps to, like, check with the reader. Hey, you know, is this, is this like, coherent for you? Does this make sense? Is this interest, an interesting image? Um, and, like, I, I was talking about, I mentioned earlier, um, reading writing samples and that's one of the primary things i'm looking for it's it's not like is the writing polished because we have editors it's more like when i read this do i have an image in my mind is that you either kind of do or you don't and then the next question is like i do and it's an interesting one or this is you know sounds epic this would be exciting for gm to like to like deliver at a table or something like that but the first question is does this create the, the image in the mind's eye and um, it, just for the, your listeners if if you're looking for like a like a, a litmus test for great box text description ask yourself that question or when you're reading it someone else's yeah yeah absolutely if we're talking about trying to create box text that's the most accessible and like for people to be uh, useful and stuff something that I had thought about and I know that it's impossible. So I'm not <laughs> saying that or I should say probably pra- impractical uh, for describe to do. It would be super great if you're also able to hire voiceover people to read all the box sets. <laughs> oh, right. You have no idea. I've wanted to do this forever. And we've had a few people, uh, a few voice actors um, contact us. And I've also reached out to a few and I've had some samples done just because I was curious to see, not because it was a project I was about to like kind of jump into, but just to help me with long-term planning and just to sort of test what, like, it sounds like a great idea. What does it actually sound like in practice? And, and, um, and I want to do it. I'm, I think it will cost an absolute fortune to do. We've just, just, just simply because we've published so much text Right. And it's kind of yeah. like, you know, we would initially not be able to do all of it. Um, and I think it'd be really cool, though. And, and I think that brings us to something we haven't even touched on, which I really want to talk about. We're talking about sound effects and music. The Sonic Library. Yeah. It describes, yeah. yeah like, um, I, actually, maybe I mentioned it when we at the very start, but 
like we that's another thing that I had wanted to do forever but we've actually done it now and um, so this is this is bringing um, ambience ambiences are like the sound of a force the sound of uh, the the um, open sea the sound of like a mountaintop uh, but we also have sound effects which are like short like you know one shot like the the sound of a trap door swinging open or the sound of a sword you know slicing through the air um and and then music too like epic rpg mood music is meant for different situations um and there's an incredible um ambient ambience composer by the name of michael gelfie he's a studio he works with music composers as well he has i think the best um collection of ambience uh, and music but particularly ambience out there ambience is, is really hard to do um to do well because like even the sound of like a meadow sounds simple it might contain over 100 individual elements uh and they all have to be arranged in the right way to make it sound authentic to make you feel to make it immersive and make you feel like you're actually there and it's a real art form. Um, and yeah, he has, I think, the best ambience library for TTRPG in existence. And uh, he liked what Describe was doing. And so we began working together over a year ago. Um, and the thought was to develop streaming platform that would work great at the table, but also allow um, for DMs to use it with their virtual players so that everyone is hearing the same sounds at the same time. The GM basically has like an audio console where they can, you know, uh, transition with a really, really natural crossfade, you know, from one ambience to another and then cue the music and then hit the sound effect and the players are all hearing it at the same time, you know, tweak the volumes and all that. Um, and then we thought, well, let's take this to the next level and do something that we don't think anyone else can do. And that is integrate that huge audio library with Describe's huge library of evocative description. And so what we've done is Michael and I and the rest of the team basically curated like and, and manually paired everything we could. So what I mean is where Describe has a description of that meadow or of a spooky forest, we have found the perfect ambience for that spooky forest in Michael's audio library, which, and, and I should say Describe's audio library because it's now on, on the site. And so when you visit the spooky forest box text, there's now a play button right there. You can hit play and you can feel like you're immersed in the spooky forest while you read it aloud. Um, and it's amazing. And we've done even more to integrate these two things. But the, the, the outcome of that effort is when you are using a feature on the site called Compositions, which is kind of a way to build your own lists and do your own campaign prep, session prep, um, you know, take the scenes that you want to use in the future. As you search and find those scenes and add them to your composition, you are adding ambiences that go with them without even realizing it. Just to fully explain for listeners who are unfamiliar, the compositions function like playlists, but you can put box text, string them together with sound effects, ambience, and music, so that it's a playlist, essentially. But they call it compositions on the website. Please continue. Yeah, it's Sorry. A, that's, that's a perfect description. It's a playlist with box text right there. So you... Because ideally, right, like the first thing that should happen is the players should hear the wind passing through the branches of the trees and you know other little ambient sounds like the crunching underfoot um you know maybe little animals like like an owl hooting and then just just two or three seconds of that and they're you know subconsciously at first they're like okay i am somewhere interesting spooky in the wild and then the dm launches into some you know, really evocative um, description of what that forest setting is like. And when you combine language, which goes like straight to cognition, um, audio, and they work harmoniously together, it's so powerful. Like it's one of those um, greater than the sum of its parts sort of things. And it, it's just super immersive. And so we've basically taken these two forms of media, put them in the same place, and then allowed people to add them as one to two compositions. And it's just really 
efficient and, and powerful, powerful world building um, in my, I, I'm biased, but I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and there are, you know, I, we've published now about 10,000 scenes um, and there are, I think about 2000 uh, different sound sounds like music, ambience and sound effects. And we're publishing like a ton every month of those as well, new ones. Um, so based on, based on increasing, you know, the coverage, so to speak, and, and what the users are requesting. So it only gets better over time. Um, and it's, uh, we launched this Sonic library in November of last year. So just recently, um, and we've been making a ton of improvements to it since, um, users have requested certain things, or we've thought, you know, we can do this, this thing better over here. You know, uh, music should have crossfading as well. Let's do that. And, um, we just, uh, implemented like drag and drop and nesting. So you can now take a, take a scene nested in a scene, nest that in another scene. And so you can have like the room, a room, like a description of a room nested in a store, which is nested in a village, which is nested in a, uh, in a region. So in other words, like you can organize these compositions hierarchically, which really helps with, you know, organization and, and world building and stuff. Collapsible menus or collapsible folders. Exactly. Yeah. It's all collapsible and you collapse the, the parent and then the text like, is hidden. And it's, it's, it's really nice. And it's the sort of thing that you expect in like, Microsoft Word or, you know, uh, OneNote or that sort of thing. Um, we're bringing those productivity um, concepts into into session prep. I have been really blown away at, at the new features on Describe. And I don't say that just because I'm an ambassador. I became an ambassador because I've been impressed with Describe and I love working with y'all. But um yeah, I sent you a link to uh, in a a music file, a sound file. The first draft of the confessors with a, with my narration uh, of cool. the introduction of that uh, NPC, which I just did for you, like them approaching the tower and then, you know, uh, them going into like the next room, which I didn't read for you yet. But that is something that I am going to be very cognizant of. Like when we're looking at our cooperative relationship with the scribe or the book, we are trying to, as much as possible, marry those two things up as far as like the ambience, the sound effects and everything. And we talked about uh, building like a composition library specifically for use with the vineyard and creating like that sound library for people to use for a campaign. And that is something that I'm very excited about doing for people so that they can, you know, as much as possible, take the load off them for preparing GMing because GMing should be fun. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to provide as much tools for what we're uh, charging people for. And that is one of those, uh, you know, absolutely like having an ambient setup and like with the appropriate sound effects that goes perfectly with the narration that's suited for this scene. Um, that is something that we are looking to provide to people for the vineyard, absolutely. So I'm very excited about stuff like that. I, I nerd out about that because that is stuff that I do as a professional GM. And I spend so much time like preparing like what song goes with this scene that's going to happen in this next session that I'm planning. I may not know how it's going to go, but I have something prepared for the introduction of this particular moment that is 70 to 100 words long. And I need to time music and ambience to work with this. So yeah, we, um, and we've like, I, I can't wait to see what and, uh, already, um, the, the community has created like thousands of compositions, uh, which is really neat to see. And I can't wait to see how it's used over the next year um, because you can set a composition to be public and then you can share it with your friends and they can import a public composition into their own account and, and have access to it and then like modify it. And, and I, I love that the vineyard um, is going to be able to use this tool to really quickly add audio to what will be already an amazing um, piece of, uh, of storytelling and adventure writing um, and, and world building. And then just, yeah, go take it to the next level with, with audio and, 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 and um, let DMs jump into that world and start running it and without adding to their workload. Like, yeah, the ease of use is so important because 
you only have so many hours like or minutes sometimes to to prep so it should just be a play button that's already there and 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 away you go i am very much looking into actually including play buttons in our pdfs so that oh, people cool. can when they need that whatever it is for the scene in our adventures they can just click it and having that functionality i think is very important to our product um even if you are going to use like maybe we'll have like the functionality of like oh this is an emergency and i forgot to set this up and you can just click and you get that one sound or whatever obviously we can't arrange the book around that but we can still provide that functionality in case like you forget or something and have our composition otherwise freely uh, available to those who pay for it and have that accessible to them in like a more organized manner but like having that functionality of like oh shit i forgot to prep and then <laughs> hit the button inside the pdf to play through your speakers or whatever while you've mm -hmm. got your laptop or whatever you need to while you're gming i think is a huge um both accessibility and then functionality that's gonna really improve people's games and ha help them have a lot more fun as well mm -hmm. and you know bring the players along with it so that they can be like impressed with something and like they can enjoy something um while the gm you know gets to reap the benefits of like looking more prepared than they are um okay uh can you take a, tell us a little bit about uh our scholar or your scholarship not our scholarship i'm not on the team <laughs> yeah um really i'm proud to actually um because I, I, it's i'm so happy that describe has has been able to do this um and it it is a source of of pride. Um, so we, I talked about all the the applications that we received from writers, and I think that taught described that there are so many people out there with like incredible ideas and ambition um, and enthusiasm. And we and we talk to our our members like every day on Discord or by email, and we know how great a bunch they are. Like they're just such wonderful people and they tell us about their ideas and the games they're running and um they share their own writing with us and so we wanted to do something to support the community and to celebrate the community and um kind of like inspire the community and uh so the idea was to do a, a yearly scholarship and um we did that for the first time it just um wrapped up so we received tons and tons of applications which is so wonderful and uh we are in the process of reviewing them all right now and um making a decision we haven't made a decision yet we're close to making a decision i've reviewed all of them uh, we have a committee at, at described composed of writers, editors, um, and others like that are on the team that that took this on, and um, and we and the scholarship application kind of explains this process. We're looking for we, we want to know who you are. What do you what what would you like to do with the money? And then give us a sample of your of your writing. And it's not a strict like we just take it all into consideration holistically and make a decision based on that. And the writing has been incredible, but like even more incredible, what, what was the diversity of applicants and the amazing ideas that they had, uh, that, that they have, that, that, that they want to use the funds for. And we were really clear in the in the um, in the request for applicants and the in the information that like we're not just looking for this isn't just money to pay tuition. Um, it, it, I mean that might be the best use of the funds for someone, and that's amazing. Um, oftentimes, education is is the best way to get a return on you know like if you're going to invest time and money as a young person, education is is usually the best thing to do. But it's not the only thing. Uh, and for others, it might be um, the, the, it might be a different path, which is like something more entrepreneurial. Um, and so we uh, explained that the funds could could be used really in in any way, um, as long as it was, you know, related to this wonderful um, slice of culture, uh, you know, that has to do with fantasy and tabletop uh, role playing and all that. And um, can't wait to announce a winner and also to showcase um, some of the writing samples um, from from applicants that we didn't ultimately select because they're just all incredible people. Um, and 
we'll we'll do it again next year just because of how great an experience it's been so super cool love that well was there anything else that you wanted to make mention of or briefly chat about before we wrapped up here david i i wanted to chat really briefly about what is it what do you as a professional gm um, get out of describe or a service like describe like how can tools we don't need to to, to just narrow down on on describe like how do these tools help you run better games you know make like get more satisfied customers so to speak um, and save you time and like you know both both like from a business perspective like I'd, I'd be curious to hear about it you know uh, you all these tools out here they a lot of them have a cost so you may not want to sign up for all of them or uh, you you know you can't run them all at the same time and and so what are you looking for in in these sorts of tools and resources um, as a professional GM so for me it's really about scalability and that is the most like that is really the most like evil capitalist thing I could say, but genuinely that's what it is for me. Um, because I run an average of 12 to 14 games a week, I really do not have time to prep four games as though I was running only one a week. Therefore, a lot of the time, what I get stuck on is getting started. And getting started means for me, finding just enough of a seed of something in order to produce something from from uh, not necessarily scratch, but to get inspired enough to be able to rely on something if I need to or to fall back on something. A lot of the time when I use box text, I am prepping scenes that say the party took a left turn. I am either quickly pulling like in real time uh, <laughs> a scene from Describe. Um, and I do this with music too, actually. Um, I used to do it with another service, but now I use Describe. So um, I used to like whenever a new, or sound effects or like ambience and stuff too. And that was one of the things that I like built up as a skill because like sometimes they would like take a left turn and like then I had to either find new music or something while they were like talking or find new ambience. And I would like listen to 30 seconds and we'd be like, is that good enough? Yeah, that's good. And then, and then download it and then put it into Foundry and then uh, put it in. So I like did all this shit manually before I found Describe. Um, but yeah, so I love the Zonic library. But um, that being said, uh, for prep and stuff, for me, it's really about scalability and the ability to provide such a memorable experience without getting burnt out. And really, for me, it's about being able to perform at a high level while being lent the energy and the creativity of all these other wonderful writers so that I can still run my business efficiently because I cannot provide a 100% personal touch on everything. And no GM does, just to be quite clear. Like every single GM that you've ever played with, no matter who you are, has taken inspiration and has taken things from other people and brought their own twist to it, their own style to the table. And I think it's important to sort of recognize that, but also support an ethical organization that is providing a venue or a space to make a living while doing it. Because I could go out and I could just like search the web for something or whatever, or I could be invested in supporting Describe uh, in the way that I do or in the way that, you know, if I was a GM somewhere else would do. I want to pay for the music that I'm using which is why I subscribe to services and I don't just like scrape them off the internet, which you can do. Um, but it's not going to be the same result in which me as a business owner, it's very important for me to support creators that help me make money. If I'm making money, I want to make sure that if I'm utilizing anyone's creativity, I'm still paying them money so that they can live and they can create more art or whatever they're doing. So it's, it's more of an ethical business decision point for me as well than anything else. Because I can go to... I can go to Reddit and I can go and take some whatever, like I'll give you the Curse of Strahd example, right? So we have Dragna Carta who created this massive like Curse of Strahd reloaded, like basically this remix of Curse of Strahd that brought a lot of content to it and Mandy Mod as well. But I don't really have a way to support them without like signing up for their Patreon. So when I was using their stuff, I signed up for their Patreon because I'm like, okay, well, I need to support this person because I'm using their stuff for my for my game. You know, it's important that if you're a creator out there and you're putting stuff out there, you do need a Patreon, um, even if it's just a few bucks or whatever, because a lot of people will actively just support you if, if they enjoy your stuff and they come back for more. But yeah, I think that's 
it's double-sided. One, I can scale better. Two, it's ethical. <laughs> yeah, I think those are, that's my final answer. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that answer. Um, that's it's great to hear that uh, describe is helpful. We wanted, I mean, we set out not with professional gems in mind, but we kind of unwittingly, I think, made the optimal tool for professional gems. Um, and I know that a lot of gems on Start Playing, and I've chatted with the the founders of Start Playing, and they love Describe as well. And I think it's for for that reason. Um, but we want to keep making it better for professional GMs and all other GMs, obviously. But uh, so I would say to your listeners, if you're a professional GM um, and there's something specific that you think is missing from Describe, some idea that you have to make it better, let me like track me down. You know, Friday can help you do that and let me know. I'd love to chat with you. Um, but Friday, can I say, uh, how wonderful it's been to chat with you about all these subjects and to be on your podcast. Um, thank you so much. And, um, you know, I just, I love your, your, um, you have such a wonderful perspective on these topics, um, because of what you do and, you know, whether it's working on the, the publishing side of things or running games, I mean, that's a really unique perspective and a really informed perspective. And so it's just a pleasure to talk about these subjects with you. And uh, thanks. Oh, my gosh, Dave, you're going to make me cry. OK, so <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I do encourage everyone to check out Describe. They have a lot of free content on there. If you're not sure about whether or not you'd like to subscribe to Describe, uh, and the link will be in the description uh, for you there. And also, if you have any issues with Describe and you don't feel comfortable just randomly joining the Describe Discord, which they have, they have a community there. I have a Describe channel in my Discord that you can come and complain about Describe in, and then I will tell David personally what the issue is, just like I did before oh, the podcast. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't mention this Friday. Uh, there's a 14-day free trial of the Sonic oh. Library, of the Composer subscription. So you can, without any obligation or cost, uh, go listen to this amazing audio library and try it out in a game or two. Um, yeah, everyone should go give it a try. Yeah, amazing. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it then. I guess uh, I, we're done here. <laughs> go to describe.com. Case closed. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly, my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreon.com slash is Friday. And that is going to go straight to my editor. Thank you so much.